2: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
1: The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to
0: life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Well, hello and welcome to this week's Driven Chat Podcast, where once again, we bring you a short intro. Myself here. Hello, I'm John Marker and the voice of Andy J also here.
1: Hello, how are you doing?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then after our short intro, we have a feature length interview. Think of it as the headline act. And it's a nice one this week. It's a man called Mark Hower, who is the founder of the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride. And chances are, whether you have any interest in motorcycles or not, uh, you will have heard of the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride. But I'm going to put a quick caveat in here. Just in case you're listening thinking, oh no, but I'm not interested in bikes, it doesn't matter because this is a bike and a car podcast, because Mark is not only the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride, he's also now the Distinguished Gentleman's Drive, and for somebody with a slight speech impediment, that was quite difficult to say. So uh, yes, it's cars and bikes, and as you will hear very soon, a really lovely, genuinely brilliant bloke. It's a good listen, you're going to enjoy it. Are you going to
1: marry him, John? That, was,
0: that I mean, was quite
1: the endorsement.
0: If it wasn't for the fact that he was on the other side of the planet. Um, in fact, that's a good point. This is the the, thir- the longest distanced podcast we've recorded. He was in Sydney, Strayer, uh, and us over here in, in wintry, gloomy England still. I think that's about as far away as you can get.
1: I quite like the international vibe actually John So it, so yeah. he's down under So you're right He's the furthest away But but thinking out loud We've also had Magnus Walker in yeah. LA Yeah And when we spoke to Schmi, He was in Dubai He was he? Yeah Yeah Who else have we had abroad? I feel like we've had someone else Doesn't matter we'll just We had um,
0: Mike Brewer He was in LA was The first time yes. we spoke to him Before we then did yes. another one with him Uh, Yeah, so we just need somebody in, uh, I think it's Wellington, New Zealand, which is the furthest you can go before you come back from where we are in England. Um, So, yeah, any guests in Wellington, New Zealand, uh, drop us a line.
1: (laughs) Do you know what? I think that's so so specific. I think we need to go, if we have a listener in Wellington, who would just come on and say hello in one of the intros. Yeah, drop us us an email. (laughs) I know that we do
0: have listeners in New Zealand. I can see it on our on our um, podcasting hosting platform it shows me where everyone in the world is listening we do have new zealand listeners so hello new zealand
1: yeah i mean i I gotta say you know we we don't sort of humble brag like some of the other pods do about where we're ranking and how many listeners we've got and so on and so forth but you know we do see these things and and the driven chat army is is really quite sizable now so thank you to all of you that taking the time to to tune in and, and join us each week we I tell you, we really appreciate it. And it doesn't sound sincere, but we really do. Oh, it's incredible. A bit.
0: It's incre- I, I'm still, in my head, I don't know about you, Andy, but in my head, I'm still talking to maybe a couple of my mates that are listening sympathetically. So to, <laughs> then, so to then go into the stats each week and see tens and, tens and tens and tens and tens of thousands of people that are listening, it's a its a huge number now, which is just bonkers so yeah thank you
1: sincerely i it's like that that's amazing. in your head john i love that that's in your head because i have literally no friends so for me <laughs> for me i just think it's a couple of your mates that are listening sympathetically too because i can guarantee there's none of my friends listening because oh, i ain't got any
0: oh well if you'd like to be andy's friend you can apply via podcast at, at <laughs> com. <drunchat.com.
1: laughs> yeah zero applicants it'll be as successful as our nefarious easter bunny getaway car <laughs> Which got a massive no responses. <laughs> <laughs> but I mentioned that
0: email address, and and and, and yeah, on the subject of responses, can I just say another massive thank you, thank you to everyone that has emailed us because we yeah. kind of every so often we 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 plant a little seed of here's a little subject that we might talk about, and maybe drop us an email if you if you've got a story that fits the bill. And of course, last week's podcast, so that was with Tom Wood of Kazana and Car and Classic. And we said at the beginning in our little intro, uh, you know, if you've got a, a classic car sell story, either winner or loser, then do let us know. And we've had a few come in. Um, some of them are quite a difficult read <laughs> uh, and some of them are a big, big win. So uh, it's awesome. So yeah, thank you. I promise you, as we've said before, I don't know if it's going to be, you know, next week, next month or, or when, we will dedicate an entire episode to working through, listeners emails and questions uh, because we've now had quite a good selection and uh, yes we'd love to do that it'd be good fun so I think it'll be quite soon yeah and keep soon. them coming we don't want to give out
1: don't want to give out an email address and then just kind of not do anything for months <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> we'll we'll get on to that I think we might we might pause uh, a celebrity guest so that we can so that we can address the people that really matter, which is the people that are actually spending time to get involved yeah, in absolutely uh, in a very, very near show. That would be, yeah. be the right thing yeah. to do. So yeah, if you want to get involved, if you want to be have a shout out or, or a conversation point or make a point. What was it? Podcast at drivenchat.com. There that's you go. That's if you'd that's like it. to get involved. Yeah, keep them going. Keep them going.
0: It's pretty Now John,
1: you spotted something that uh, before we started recording, you spotted something that was I, th- I would say, it had you perplexed?
0: Yeah, well, so before we do these little intros, because of course, usually the, the the format is that we'll have an interview with a guest, and sometimes that's recorded a week or two previously to this intro. Um, and then what we like to do at the little intro is we try and get this week's news stories. You know, we find out what's happening in the automotive world if there's anything worth talking about in current real times. And I, th- <laughs> this morning, as I you know, wiping the the sleep from my eyes, I was kind of going through all the press releases of the week and. There isn't really much going on. The biggest thing that jumped out to me this week is from Bentley. Uh, we love Bentley very much. and We love their cars. And we love do. driving them. Um, however, they're announcing... Uh, Bentley's proud to announce plans to develop the first ever Bentley-branded luxury tower in the world, the Bentley Residences. I mean... Mm. Where's that going to be, John? It's, uh, it's in Florida, South Florida.
1: Because and... you are moving soon, so I'm wondering if this is aligned. <laughs>
0: That would be great, wouldn't it? And it yeah. just so happens the reason I'm talking about it is because I get no, um, I, I just why car manufacturers <laughs> building houses? Two minutes after you say
1: you love Bentley, yeah, and I'm also moving into Bentley
0: <laughs> towers. Yeah. I just it jumped out of me as uh, as you know, not because that, that, this is of course coming in on a automotive. There is a there's a big portal that all journalists and freelancers will will know about news press that sends you out the, the week's news uh, every single day, twice a day. Here's what's happening in the automotive world. And, and of course, it's usually Aston Martin have developed a new wheel that can turn twice as fast. It's, you know, a lot yeah. of the times, it's, it's quite boring. New um, logo. Engineering yeah, I mean, the,
1: like the Peugeot logo was a huge thing for a while. It was a huge Look thing. Look at the lion. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's
0: okay. doing new yeah, logos. That's cool. Yeah. But every so often, you do get a confusing one like Bentley, Bentley Houses.
1: Like well this is I mean this is curious because Aston Martin have done the same thing a, a few years previous, haven't they? They've got that complex is it is it LA or is it also Florida? I can't remember, but they've got that sort of apartment block that yeah. Aston Martin designed apartment block. They've got submarines, they've got uh, I think they've got a kind of Aston helicopter type thing as well, haven't they? A, yeah, sort it of sounds like a right. type. So yeah, I think some of these design houses mm. just like to kind of flex their muscles a bit, but you Know more often than not, they don't become anything other than nice concepts. So, to actually, yeah, this, I mean, how, this is
0: happening, apparently.
1: What it, is a Bentley? What did you say it was called? Bentley Towers,
0: Bentley branded luxury residential tower in the world. Bentley is the Bentley Residences, they're calling it. Bentley and it's uh, ultimately effectively it's a, a huge, um, sky rise, think luxurious apartment block tower. Uh, I mean, it looks very posh. And of course, the irony of this is that I've we've started this by saying. That's ridiculous. Who would want to talk about it? And of course, we're talking about, we're talking about it we're on talking our, about our it.
1: podcast. Um, the trouble is, right, you'll say we're talking about it, and now you're looking at it, and you've actually started drooling, John. I think you've <laughs> looked at pictures, and you're like, I'd like to live there, too.
0: I, do, I don't know about... Uh, yeah, Florida's okay. I don't know if that would be my number one choice of US living. You could go to Disney. You could go to Disney often. There is D- Disneyland not far There's away. basically
1: Disney. Um, That's the main thing. There's some alligators. Is, Epcot, is Yeah, is Epcot also in Florida? I,
0: might... I don't know. Daytona's up the road. That's good. You I, go there. I
1: did a travel show there once. I can't remember anything about it. Isn't that awful? No, Florida. It, was a, it was about a thousand years ago. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's confusing, isn't it? But fair enough, fair enough. There are lots of confusing things in the car world. Here's another thing that's confusing me in the car world. I promise I'm not going to turn this into a Mark Armones episode. Have you seen, Andy, the advert that's currently on both the television and on the radio at the moment, which advises people that if they have an issue with their car on the motorway, they must go left? Are you familiar with this? I
1: haven't seen this. Right. No. It's, what?
0: So there is an advert. I cannot even begin to imagine the amount of money that has been spent on this advertising campaign. And they use the uh, the, the iconic song "Go West." You know, the lyrics "Go West." So they use instead of "Go West," uh, they sing saying you, "Go West." How
1: left. does it go?
0: You know, you know that you're just are you just making this up? Oh, yes I am. Yeah. But yeah, the uh, so they've they've come up with this advertising. <laughs> I love that you campaign. sung a bit more then though. I know. If I had more of a singing voice, it's too early in the morning when we're recording this. The um the I've been advert up for
1: five hours, John. Five hours. It's not too early. Go on. Come
0: on, I don't have kids. I I, I got up <laughs> two minutes to nine before our uh, before our recording. No, that's not true. No, but the um yeah, so this advert, this very, very confusing advert is um is advising people, if you have an issue with your car on the motorway, you must go left to pull onto the hard shoulder. Now, that's fine. The whole premise of the advert is fine, and I agree with the advice. My My issue, and where the confusion lies, is who on earth needs to be told that? And if you are, for the first time in your life, as a driver, sitting there going, oh, right, so I pull over to the left if I have an issue... What are you doing on the road? Like, we both know how much it costs to make adverts on the television. It's it's not a cheap exercise.
1: You're looking at a staggering amount of money,
0: yeah. and I, it's a huge campaign where people. there's and they've got these stupid comedy fly characters that have landed on a windscreen and they're pointing. Go left, go left, because your engine lights come on. And I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, "Is this? Have I accidentally flicked onto like a comedy sketch show of like a, obvious comedy?" Um, but no, it's a real, it's a real campaign, and I can't, I can't work out for the life of me why this needs to be a thing. I mean, what's the next advice? If, yeah, who if, if who a car in front of you starts left? to stop, break. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Obviously, are there? I mean, are there people? Is this a thing? Are people pulling into the overtaking lane or the central reservation to stop when they break down? Is that is that a thing? Is that happening? And if so, are there enough people doing that that it warrants some millions and millions of pounds being spent on advertising? I'm very confused.
1: <laughs> there must So there must have been a catalyst for this, right? There must yeah. have been a spate of people just sticking the old hazard flashes on in the fast lane or whatever. Yeah, I, I know we supposed to call it the fast lane, but we all know what I mean. You know, there must have been something. Otherwise, someone has just literally had all this lockdown time, heard the song Go West, thought, <laughs> oh, I'll put a left on it. There's a campaign. How can yeah. I fit it in? Oh, I know, hard shoulder. And, you know, it might be someone... <laughs> someone at the, at the you know at the highways agency or whatever who's quite high ranking or maybe it's like maybe it's one of their cousins or their kids or some relation who's like, oh I just had this idea go live and you know and then they've just exercised too much power on something that really didn't need doing that's that's the only thing I can
0: think it's of. It's very bizarre I appreciate as well again I, I often allow myself to forget that we are a very international podcast. This is only really going to be relevant for our UK listeners. If you're listening from elsewhere in the world, just go 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 onto YouTube and put in in the the Go Left campaign or whatever. I I couldn't even tell you what it's called. Um, Well,
1: and also, if you are listening, you know, in, say, France or America... Yeah, for goodness sake, don't go left. (laughs) Don't do that.
0: Go right. Go right. Christ. Yeah. um, Yeah, sorry. I didn't didn't intend for that to be such a long tangent, but it's really annoyed me. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I think we need to have another Mark on yeah, I know. You know, it's, it's I've forgotten how entertaining it is when you've gotten a grumbly. And that's just the most kind of delicate little thing. An advert has frustrated you to this level. It has. It's just it's a, an it's, advert.
0: It's the... It, because I can't help but think... I'm doing all the sums in my head of like, right, they've licensed that song. They've paid about four or five actors there. They've clearly closed a stretch of motorway to film that. Then there's the actual advertising cost. It's going to be millions of pounds. Oh, yeah. It's just... Yeah. A, it's bizarre, and yeah, but and then the big thing is anyone that needs to be told that in an advert. Oh my God! Get off the road! Like, just stop, stop driving. You're a risk to us all.
1: Okay, anyway. come on, you've started it, John. Yeah, the people that need to hear that advert. Let's let's see this through. Yes. What what typically what three cars are they driving? What what uh, three can, vehicles? Uh, to a Vauxhall mocker, to...
0: a Nissan yep. Duke, right. and. Um, any Peugeot beyond two thousand three? There we go. But Sting. up to, wow! Sorry, Peugeot drivers. No, I'm sticking with it. Yeah, Nissan Duke, Vauxhall Mocker, um, or that other one, Vauxhall Grandland. What the hell's that? Granddad, Granddad. It literally looks like Granddad on the logo. Yeah, Nissan Duke, Vauxhall Mocker slash Granddad, or um, a Peugeot.
1: I like the new Peugeot badge for what it's worth.
0: Do you? I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I can see what they're doing. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a big old, that's a big old PR campaign. I wouldn't want to be in charge of trying to sex up the brand Peugeot.
1: Well, I, do you know what my thinking behind it is? They've done that, the fancy new logo, because I reckon, you know, these things are planned. It's not just a spur of the moment thing. Like your go left campaign. These things are planned a long, 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 long time in advance. And my hunch is that they've rebranded because there's going to be some very cool new machinery coming out. Well, there is. Because, I reckon yeah, be.
0: But they, they've, been, they've been bought out, haven't they, by... Oh, God, I've forgotten the name of it. It's a really bizarre name, like Stratavarius or something. Um, I'll, I'll put it in the blurb. There's in, it, basically, it, it, somebody's bought Citroën, Peugeot, yeah. Renault, yeah. everybody. They, every, they bought everything. they bought everything. They've bought everything. Everything. And they've decided, yeah. out of all the brands... The one that they're going to make the cool, exciting, sporty brand is Peugeot. But I have to right. say...
1: Hey, listen, don't rule it out. I can see them doing it.
0: Modern, The modern design language for Peugeot, as Alex Goy said in a podcast with us a few weeks ago, is actually very cool. But I, I, yeah. I have to say, modern Peugeots do look quite cool. But there is that very distinct period of time, late 90s to about two years ago, where it was just disgusting. <laughs> and it seemed that everyone that drove a Peugeot seemed to be um, of a...
1: You've got That's to let like. it be. You, you've got to allow them to be reborn, though, John. I mean, mm. look at look at some of the things we've seen changing. You know, Skoda, for example. Remember the re- reputation they used yeah, to have, true. and yet true. The, they're kind of the way they refine themselves. Volvo, you know, they transformed themselves into becoming a super cool premium brand. Yeah, with a few with a few clever tweaks. So wait and see how it goes, man. I'm I'm defending the Peugeot because basically someone needs to.
0: That's fair. That's fair. I'll um yeah I'll I'll sit with you on that. I'll have a go. I'll have a go with the Peugeot. Just bring back the hot hatches. Peugeot of the 1980s and the early 90s. Do that again. That was brilliant.
1: Yes, agreed. Agreed. <laughs> uh, there, was a, there was a lady on the road I grew up who had a convertible and it just sat in the driveway and it would be a daily routine for her to push the button and you'd see it. It was one of the first self-converting oh, yeah. roofs. Do you know? And I did sort of think to myself, yeah, that's quite cool. To be fair, that's, mm. yeah, that looks quite cool.
0: Convertible yeah, did Peugeot, well. Didn't have you
1: down as that type, well. type of driver, Andy. It's not my car, John. It was a lady on the road. No, you, like, but you the seem the to love it very converted. much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Oh, yeah, all right. Right, no, well, way. we've done a little rant.
0: We have got a ranty episode, just in case anyone's listening to this as a new listener and thinking, oh, that was quite entertaining. Um we did a whole episode, I can't think when it was. It was it was ages ago, like episode four or five, um, where I just moan basically for an hour about everything.
1: The Mark Armones episode. Yeah. yeah. I think we should do another Mark Armand.
0: We'll do that. We'll do that. We'll start compelling a list. And I think I even said in that, in that podcast, but long before our email address became a thing, um, if you have things that you really hate, like what is it that really grinds your gears, pun slightly intended, about the automotive world, whether that's driving on the road, car manufacturers, in-car entertainment. I mean, I could rant about in-car entertainment for hours. Um, yeah, all those little gripes and niggles—the kind of things that you moan to your mates at in the pub—write them down on an email. The funnier, the better, uh, and send yes. them over. Because again, we'll we'll dedicate an episode to going through a, the variants of categories that we've gone through in the past few episodes, where we talk talk about certain talking talk, talking. Well, look, points. let's
1: let's do that, John. Let's yeah. do that. If we get if we get ten good Mark our moan style emails in the next in the next few days, then we'll make next week's pod dedicated to the emails love the ones it. that we've already got that people have already written in and we'll have a moany section yes um which would be mark R and the email listeners i love it have a moan i know for a fact so, yeah. that
0: everyone has a complaint about something in the automotive world um and it, it's often a very funny talking topic so yeah the funnier the better but if it's you so know, if we
1: if we get 10 in the next few days yeah that would be but by the end of this week as you listen to this yeah if you have emailed us a really good moan and there's nine other people that have done the same then next week's show we won't put out the celeb that we've got we will put out our reactions Deal. to your moany emails you can do it via podcast at drivenchat.com. is that right that's yes. it
0: you got it you got it well, we should probably get your moans uh, in we should probably dive into mark hour <laughs> how long have we been in uh, in this intro gosh 20 minutes Joel. 20 minutes far yeah too long Let's...
1: far too long <laughs> might, might want to cut it all out <laughs> And we haven't even mentioned that Amy's in the show as well. People are always oh, wondering, is Amy in the show? She's most of the interview.
0: Well, she is, in fact. Yeah, so Amy leads this one. It's Amy's guest. Um, Amy, as, as you will discover in the podcast, there's a very valid reason for having Mark on the show. Um, so, yeah, let's, uh, let's stop jabbering and uh, introduce you to the, uh, the much-anticipated voice of Amy Shaw.
2: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital.
3: Welcome to this week's episode of the Driven Chat Podcast. I am very, very excited to have on the show today a friend of mine that has created a global marvel of an event. The Distinguished Gentleman's Ride started in 2012 and since then has raised over £20,300,000, which is staggering. Can I please introduce the very wonderful, on the other side of the world, Mark Hauer.
2: (laughs) Thanks for having me, guys. (laughs) really appreciate it.
3: Thank you for spending the time to uh, come and chat to us what is our morning or evening. Um, You have a very interesting uh, office space that I can see behind you.
2: Yeah, there's a fair few cars here. I mean, obviously a fair few motorbikes as well. But um, obviously, I know this is a podcast, and people can't visually see <laughs> me looking over my shoulder. But uh, it's okay. There's Theater a Delorean. Of the mind.
0: We'll will we'll paint it <laughs> all out for them.
2: There is a Delorean there. There is a Z4M, one of the last six-cylinder cool. straight, naturally aspirated BMWs. There's the first ever Mazda rotary, uh, Mazda Cosmo. There is a Mazda rotary at the top which is a Mazda R130. Uh, It's pretty much the two worst things you can do to a car, a front wheel drive and then it's also rotary. Um, And then there's the piston equivalent of it which is a Mazda 1800 and then as you can see just a hell of a lot of motorbikes and a few office
3: desks. (laughs) I like that of your office, the office desks are kind of low on the, the requirements for an office space like that.
2: Yeah, it's uh, how minimal desks can we squeeze in and how tightly can we squeeze it in to try and cater for more bikes and
0: cars. <laughs> I guess as long as you're not pushing any office chairs into the side of a DeLorean or anything, then it's fine, isn't it? Uh, yeah, no. No
1: <laughs> well, I mean,
2: no, the, mag, no magnets on it either. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, it basically
2: looks like our fridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: it, it is pretty low. So, I mean, if you open like if open the door and had a wheelie chair, you could probably get like your laptop on top of the roof of the DeLorean and that would be a pretty good desk height
2: yeah the problem is and it's so funny when we have to get into it to move because it's on the bottom right when we have to get into it to move one of the guys has to literally put his hand there as a bit of a guide because obviously (laughs) they're they're gull wing doors and the last thing you want to do is is damage that beautiful stainless steel so It is very awkward seeing a 108 kilogram, six foot, one man trying to squeeze into a small gap to get into the DeLorean to take it out.
3: It's even
2: worse when it's even worse when the door jams and I have to try and exit through the passenger side. Uh, That is a very awkward sight to see. But
3: I thought DeLoreans were perfect in every way and they never went wrong ever.
2: Yeah, no, you definitely didn't watch the
1: documentary.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so, I mean, So, I mean, it's wonderful to have you on. And let's go straight into it. The Distinguished Gentleman's Ride. This year is being held on May the 23rd, if nobody's got them in the diaries already. I'm making sure now. I want to make sure that is right. It is May 23rd, isn't it?
2: Spot on, you are <laughs> correct.
3: Um, and the aim of the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride, the, the DGR, is to raise funds and awareness for men's health, mental health, and some physical health, and just yeah, tell me a bit more about how that started in 2012.
2: Yeah, it's been a crazy 10-year journey. So, 2012, um, one of our Facebook groups, uh, we had a, it was quite funny. We had this following because. I started up a group called Sydney Cafe Races, and it was just about purely getting people together and riding, you know, cafe races and classic-styled motorbikes. And I ended up growing that to Perth, Melbourne, and a fair few different cities around Australia. Um, And one of the groups put a picture up of Don Draper in a suit, and I've looked at it and I've gone, oh, wow, that's cool. And the conversation started to happen around, you know, let's do a suit ride. And I've gone, guys, you know, I've got an idea. Just give me a few weeks. And um, started working on the name, the logo, and how to take, the idea globally and initially the fun part about it was how do we break these negative stereotypes that are happening in australia but also happening in a lot of the key countries around the world like america and uk where people tend to look at motorcyclists like they're i guess a little bit more of a daredevil um they're you know they could be what people call a one percenter people call them uh bikies instead of bikers and so the idea was let's replicate that let's jump in a suit um you know the ladies can put their dresses on or a suit on and let's jump on our classic motorbikes and go through a ride through each main street of each city around the world and you know i was very fortunate in the first year that 64 um people, I guess, sat there and said, Mark, we're in. And they were just mates that, you know, we'd made through the motorcycle scene. The guys from El Solitario Blitz motorcycles and 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 just people that were really passionate about riding these styles of motorcycles. And wow, 64 cities, two and a half thousand riders in the in the first year. Um, and it continued to grow and we started partnering up with prostate cancer foundations globally. And then eventually we partnered up with Movember, uh, I guess because one I've been a Mo Bro, which is what we're called when <laughs> we grow moustaches for about 13 years. I think since the second year of the event. Um, and yeah, it just, I guess it just continued to connect with people. Um, one, uh, because they're passionate about motorcycles, but two, because they're passionate about helping others.
3: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So, what's funny is that the the DGR 2014 was my very first photo shoot of motorcycles. I'd never, yeah, so I'd I'd only been a photographer for about, like, you know, proper photographer about six, eight months at that point. And then um, Petrolicious said, hey, there's this really cool event um, we want covering called the DGR. Can you go to the London one and just photograph that? And I was like, cool, yeah, all right then. Don't really know what this is about. Went down, and at the time it was in, in Borough Market in London. And, uh, you know, it was, it was Dutch and Vicky from the bike shed that were, were, were kind of organising it. And when I got there, I thought, whoa, these people are way cooler than me. Like, I've, I, I, it was the first time I'd ever experienced bike world. They're like, you know, actual, some form of um, culture of motorcycles. So that, the, 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 the DGR is something I've loved from, I suppose, quite early on. And it was so such a special thing for me then each year to end up photographing it. it, it I ended up photographing the London one about two or three times more after that. But I, I still didn't ride. And it was going to that event that I made ma- that made me think, you know, what, I'd, I'd love to actually end up riding. So then what's funny is that um, I think it was the, the 2016 one. It was over the same weekend that I was learning, literally learning to, to, uh, to ride. I was, I was having all my, my lessons. I had my test like... the the following Monday or Tuesday after the the Sunday ride so I had spent I think it was about seven hours doing 60 miles of of like super twiddly town riding or something like that over over the Sunday rode back uh, you know got, got back home and then got onto my little 1972 Honda 350 with my dad riding, me pillioning with like my camera gear and all of our, you know, our our cool clothing and overnight stay. And we ended up riding down to London from like the Midlands. So it was like a two hour, a two and a half hour ride or something like that. Pitch black, quite cold. (laughs) It was just like, I just thought, I'm so tired right now. (laughs) But it was, it was to go to that event. So that was, for me, was a really special point being able to have my dad riding my motorcycle with me sat backwards on that bike of the 2016 ride photographing the event in London. And it was the following year that I was the first year that I got to join in the DGR myself and on that same bike. And so for, for, for me, this event has been something that's, I followed it through. It's the, probably the reason why I started riding motorcycles. And um, yes, yeah, so it was a really special event to me. And. It's wonderful that even over COVID last year, you still managed to get together some people to kind of do it in their own cities, N- nothing like you're doing this year, you've got it set up that at the minute, everyone's going to be solo riding, depending on what happens with the government guidelines of each country. If our governments can say, yep, okay. You can start meeting up for outside things and great. We'll go and meet up with groups of our friends and just that idea of the community, even if you're together in the same city or worldwide, um, it's all Kind of stemmed from yeah from from this motorcycle event, which is really really awesome. So I mean, it was it's it awesome. It's the first time I've learned that you thought about it being a global event from day one. I always thought it was something that was going to start off like in Sydney, and that somehow it grew. So that was really interesting for me to yeah. to, to hear. Because yeah. now, how many how many countries I haven't got it written down in front of me. How many so, countries is, is it now?
2: Uh... Pre COVID, it was 102 countries. So, our last non COVID event was 702 cities, 102 countries, and 120 or 125,000 riders. That's um, incredible. But, but to, to unpack um uh, what you're talking about before, I remember the 2014 photos, and we still use those photos that you took in <laughs> 2014. Because I remember just being absolutely blown away by some of those early morning shots at borough markets. And the first stunning. time that I went to, um, to London. Uh, I had been to London before, but since riding motorbikes, because I've only been riding motorbikes since 2010, 2011, oh, really? I sort of went out of my way to get Byron Borough Markets because I wanted to check out the space because it looked so awesome in those photos that you took. So, oh, cool. yeah, I, I definitely know that you've been a part of this since 2014 and we've always appreciated your support on that one and, and learning that this is the reason why, you know, we're we're getting more people into motorcycling. And, and, I mean, I'd hate to go down this path but I'm going to, but more females into motorcycling. Mm-hmm. It's pretty special.
0: Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Because uh, so I, I'm always fascinated to learn how people discover or learn about certain events. You think of these big iconic events that happen all over the world, whether that's a, a motorsport event like Goodwood Revival or um, Pebble Beach Concours in, uh, in, in California. The, I'm always fascinated to see, like, how did you find out about that? How did you learn about it? And, but hearing your story about going along to Borough Market, that being your first ever meet on the bike... The interesting thing for me, the way that I found out about Distinguished Gentleman's Ride, was for a couple of years, I would see a parade of bikes go down Tooley Street in London, which is just down the road from Borough Market. My dad has an apartment on Tooley Street, and it would just so happen that I'd be there at a weekend or something going to visit, and we'd walk outside of his apartment, and there'd be this unreal noise and sight of just bikes going along with people really well dressed and me and my dad look at each other going, what the hell is going on, like what is this? And of course we then researched it, looked into it, okay, it's a Distinguished Gentleman's Ride, it all makes sense. But it's now become one of those events where people like me and my dad standing at the side of the road going, what the hell is that? Through to people who just look at photos on Instagram or have a rough interest in bikes. Almost everyone in the world now knows about this event. They've learnt of it somehow, one way or another, and it must be quite a bizarre feeling for you, Mark. I mean, I like you. I'm from the events world, but that's, yeah. that's my trade, so to speak. And it's always quite cool when you hear people talking about something that you've organised or that you've run. It's, it's a totally bizarre feeling, and, and
2: funnily enough, I've got an example from yesterday where um, one of the guys from Movable Link, which is one of the sort of platforms we use for our for our emails to to our database. Um, he was really keen on coming into the office and one, checking out the space. And, you know, he'd been in lockdown wherever he was for COVID and he was just happy to be out. And he goes, Oh, yeah, I was talking to the, uh, to the Uber driver and I mentioned it and they knew exactly what the Distinguished mm-hmm. Cinnamon's ride is. And I'm sort of sitting there going, like, to me, like, it's still such a niche within a niche, right? Because it's classic motorcycles, it's a specific style of motorcycle. Yeah. It's not open to absolutely everyone. So it is mm-hmm. mind blowing. And, you know, you you do sort of, have to tug at your own shirt sometimes and go why well, did that just actually happen yeah. like I remember I was in I, I remember I was in Japan six years ago um, and you know tattoos are totally taboo in Japan mm. uh, but I see, a guy and, and, and he's got a distinguished gentleman's right logo on his forearm. They no go up and speak to him. And I'm like, I'm curious to know if that tattoo was off the shelf somewhere uh, or if he was a part of the event and he was a part of the event in Milan. Hmm. Um, and that was mind blowing. And then two years ago, I'm at a wedding in Santorini and a guy walks past me in the, in the hotel um, bistro for breakfast. And he's got a distinguished gentleman's right tattoo on his arm. And I'm just sitting there going, wow, this is, I mean, for, for a guy that's always appreciated tattoos but doesn't have any, there are a lot of people out there that have tattoos. And, and to me, it's it's that's an awkward feeling because, yeah. you know, I think I want to change the logo. No, I'm joking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking.
2: But it is an awkward feeling knowing that, um, and it's a special feeling knowing that people are so passionate about what we've done and, and knowing that we've been able to bring you know a lot of people and and to be honest a lot of lonely people together that have been able to create these friendship networks
0: from being a part of that one day event yeah it's incredible it's incredible so let's just um just for my own kind of knowledge and there'll be a few people at home that may be listening and, and wondering the same thing what are the ground rules for the dgr do you you mentioned that there are it's a, it's open to certain types of bikes is there a is there an age cap or a, a style of bike cap? What's the what's the general overview if somebody's sitting at home thinking, This is something I feel like I want to explore or perhaps be part of? Is there yeah, a definitely. how does it all work? Yeah, I mean it Obviously, age is irrelevant and gender is irrelevant,
2: religion and all the rest of it's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you do need to obviously be able to ride a motorcycle <laughs> illegally. Uh, it is an event <laughs> that takes place on, a pub, on public roads. Um, from day one, it was always about limiting the size of the event. And, and you know, I've always had pretty good foresight um, and always had confidence that this was going to turn into something that was a little bit bigger mm-hmm. um, than it started off as. And the first couple of years sort of dictated that, uh, you know, we knew it was going to get to certain points where we would have to actually put a cap on how many people can attend the event based on not wanting to cause too much traffic congestion, police, and, and, you know, local councils and other authorities. So the start of the ride is really about bringing together classic styled outfits and classic styled motorcycles. And although we've gotten a little bit lenient over the years by including the modern classic style of things, Mm -hmm. um, it still very much is a throwback at those, you know, the 1930s, the 1940s, the 1950s and 60s. So it's a bit, um, people like to dispute it, I guess. Yeah, it's a safe way to put it. Um, but realistically, it still is an event that really at, at the fundamental of it, it is about cafe races and classic style motorcycles coming together and doing their part for men globally, irrespective of whether or not they ride a motorbike, <laughs> irrespective of whether or not they ride a cafe racer. <laughs> yeah so that's the that's the only ground rules the ground rules that is essentially to answer the question simply the ground rules is there's a style guide that's associated with the events cool. and, and the motorcyclists have to fit in with that style guide um yeah are we sometimes lenient yes if the person that's on an inappropriate motorcycle wants to volunteer and help corner mark or help mm. be the first aid person or helps set up we definitely do make some exceptions for people that are just super passionate about helping others
3: nice that's awesome. So after the event and you raise this amazing money, where does that end up going and how does that end up supporting all these men around the world?
2: So the fantastic thing about the whole structure of what we do is every single donation goes directly to Movember from our website. Um, Yes, let's be realistic. At the end of the day, uh, a charity event still operates as a business. We've still got staff to pay and we've still got insurance policies to pay for, Um, but we're super proud of the fact that we operate at 20 cents in a dollar. So literally we'll be reimbursed uh, 20 cents in a dollar for everything that we raise. And that covers the cost of us producing the entire event globally. Uh, It covers the cost of us protecting every single volunteer ride host globally in their sort of support networks as well, uh, which you can imagine an insurance policy on that scale. isn't a few dollars it's (laughs) it's quite expensive um and the fantastic thing is is the relationship that we've got with Movember from day one um the rule has always been and the contract's always been that we get to allocate where those funds go within their organization so we get together at the end of the event and start looking at all the different potential research programs um concepts and and really start to map out what we want to fund and you know we've been very fortunate after sort of a five-year relationship with them that we were able to uh, create a a program that was based on how do we get motorcyclists to connect better for their mental health Mm. um, and how do we slow down the rate of suicide so there's actually a huge amount of programs that we've funded specifically in the motorcycle world on top of all the general research stuff that we've done and a great link for that one is just a to drive people to the website because there is a huge amount of information and it's it's very transparent in the programs that we fund. Um, and so I'm gonna give the website a bit of a plug. Go for it, uh, If you wanna learn more about what we fund, please just head to gentlemen'sride.com or just Google gentlemen's Ride. Just don't click images or else you'll be scrolling down for a while until you actually <laughs> remember that you were trying to find it.
3: <laughs> no, that's awesome. Thank you so much for, for, for getting through that. And um, just talking about images, I'm going to go to an image now which has been burnt in my mind and I want to just have you explain it, that. There's an image of you. You know which image I'm talking oh, about now. I know.
2: You're not going to talk about a Twitter profile picture or something, are you?
3: It's, well, I'm just confused at how it became a thing. So there's a picture of you <laughs> lying as if you're on a beach. Oh, that. <laughs> that,
2: that. Sorry, I, I was scared for a second. No. I thought you found a different picture.
3: But um, you're literally on a, on, what is it? an aeroplane a massive aeroplane about like you're about to jump out of back
2: uh, it. Yeah that was um that was on one of the um defence planes yeah so that was quite funny actually so I guess i got to go back to this story and, and I hope this doesn't affect my re- my future possible relationship. But anyway, um, <laughs> there was this place called Dutton Garage in Melbourne and it's a fantastic place that sells these beautiful classic cars and, and performance cars. Um, and I got kicked out of there because I had done that pose where I laid down next to a car um, and, and took a photo with it. And I got kicked out of there and, um, you know, I sort of on social medias, social media I shared that picture and, and shared that I'd been kicked out and then all my friends started doing the exact same pose <laughs> and, it, and everyone tried to one-up everyone on how they do this pose and you know if they're in the Himalayas like whereabouts they were in the world it just became this really awkward funny competition and then I would sort of give them a bit of a rating out of 10 and say oh yep your toe's not pointing in the right direction your knee <laughs> needs to be at this <laughs> angle and it was all just a little bit of fun And then we were really fortunate. Um, The head of the Australian Defence Force is a motorcyclist and and was super passionate about distinguished gentlemen's ride, and we were able to take some of our key volunteers and our staff. um, And this was this was unbeknownst to me. It was actually a surprise, and they took us up in um, in one of the I can't even remember what the actual plan was called, but one of our key sort of um, cargo Mm -hmm. slash the plane that the guys jump out of with parachutes on and all the rest of it and I was strapped in and they lowered the back deck and I looked at the, uh, the soldier to the left of me and I've gone, Hey, do you mind if I just drop down for a bit of a pose? And, we had a cameraman with us. and, and he looks at me and he says, no, you're not allowed to do that. And unfortunately I am a bit of a rebel when it comes to that. And, and I noticed that we were over the Harbor bridge and opera house. And I literally just dropped down and did the pose. And what you don't see afterwards is him grabbing me by the scruff of my <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) and 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 telling me off and then um yeah there were some words afterwards about how we you know shouldn't be sharing that photo but i mean yeah you can't really quite tell what it is and a lot of people thought it was a fake photo and um people started photoshopping the background of it. So there was one where I was under the water with a Little Mermaid. There's one where there was the um, the X-Wing fighter and I was in Star Wars and it just turned into this thing and it hasn't stopped and it's been like six years now.
3: But that's great because at the same time, it's still bringing people back to you and then about what you do. So really, it's all for a good cause. Yeah,
2: it's it's again, it's super awkward. And, and, and I mean, I've mentioned this to other people, but it's always super awkward because you know there's essentially two personalities within me <laughs> there's the distinguished gentleman's ride and there's me personally and sometimes those uh, those personalities are, are conflicting <laughs>
3: <laughs> though, that's that's awesome though um so going on to the distinguished gentleman's ride uh, drive sorry i've done the ride drive this is a fairly new event right
2: yeah, so I mean and I do that all the time by the way, especially when I'm talking to people. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, we know about the ride. I'm like, oh no, no, no sorry. I mean, we're talking about the drive. <laughs> so, I've been a car enthusiast for a lot longer than I've been uh, a motorcycle rider and the idea was always there even from I won't say day 1, but I'll say year 3 to to roll out into the Distinguished Gentleman's Drive, but uh, you know, the ride takes so much time up for us, mm. you know, overlooking 700 rides globally. There's a huge amount of time and these guys in the office and, and you know, they they all work so hard. So being able to, I guess, get to the point where we've got systems and strategies and how to roll the event uh, for the ride has made it a lot easier and freed up some of our time. So we've decided, yes, yes. Well, actually we decided last year now is the time to to roll out the distinguished gentleman's drive and it was going to happen in may last year and COVID <laughs> that <Yep>. so <laughs> um we postponed it and there's been some big changes where you know, the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride now takes place in May. Mm-hmm. It normally takes place in September. Um, you know, we wanted the Northern Hemisphere to be able to enjoy good weather like <laughs> we have for yeah. the last 10 years. Um, and the great thing is it now opens up the September date to be able to operate the Distinguished Gentleman's Drive. So, you know, it is sort of similar in regards to the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride in the fact that we're raising money. It's peer-to-peer fundraising. It's raising money for November. Primarily 50% of that goes towards suicide prevention, and 50% of that goes towards um, the prostate cancer research side of stuff. Um, but it's different in the fact that there's four wheels involved and it's locked into pre 1980s cars. So, nice. you know, we're talking super classic, um, very different in regards also to the fact that the ride takes place through the main streets of the city. This is more of a hey guys. This is not a cars and coffee. Yes, we're going to have a meeting spot, but we're actually going to go for a drive and we're actually going to cover a couple hundred kilometers and we're going to raise a hell of a lot of money to, to support Movember.
3: That's really cool. Um, so obviously it got canceled last year. What for people listening, what date is it going to be this year?
2: That's a really good question. And I I feel like I'm going to make a mistake here and you guys may be able to edit it. And I'm also going to do this sidewards eye to one of my staff members just to get confirmation. And I'm going to say that it's September the 26th and he doesn't even know. <laughs> That's okay. I'm, I'm fairly confident <laughs> if it's a Sunday and it's the last Sunday of September, right. which I think is the 26th, yes. it is September 26th. September
3: 26th, it's in my calendar, it's just yeah. in the senior awesome. drive. Okay. And the
2: awesome the awesome part about that is um, we've pretty much already locked in over 150 drives globally. Wow. Uh, oh incredible. and so it's pretty exciting and and you know our network Um, has obviously been growing since we announced it and Mm. we've been getting a bit more involved in the Australian classic car scene as well and we actually did a bit of a dummy uh, a dummy run a dummy drive can't call it a dummy drive it sounds inappropriate (laughs) a dummy run um at at a car event called the Sydney Harbour Concourse and we had 25 uh drivers that joined us and we did a little drive through Sydney and finished up at this fantastic sort of beach location and then um ended up at the actual location of the event and we got to drive in and park in the driveway and it formed part of the actual nice. uh, concourse as well and everyone was just buzzing and i think everyone was buzzing because it was so cool to sort of be able to bring a different point to that event where you had younger people you had ladies driving you had guys driving they're all suited you mm. know they, they were wearing their sunday best and there were cars that essentially weren't concourse because, you know, it's pre eighties. You can have your, your, your sort of rusty survivors. You can have your patina, you can have your slightly <laughs> modified cars. It was just cool bringing that. And I think it sort of showed to the 25 drivers and and myself and the team here that um, you know, we're, we're fairly confident that's going to be a successful event.
3: So I need to think about what I'm going to actually drive because my mini is 1985, so I've, I've now got to have a either find something, <laughs>
2: or what we do is we just have some slight provisions that say run on models
3: <laughs> like the oh, mini. Right. And, yeah. and yeah. The, the,
2: the the thing is, I mean, if it looks exactly like a 1979 model, I mean, there will be provisions to allow mm. that. We're not going to be we're not going to be super 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 strict, um, but maybe we'll have some um, some additional spots for for. People that are super passionate and they can be the tail end Charlie or they can be the guys that, <laughs> that carry the jack for us and the battery pack for when we break down.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, in, in May next so yeah, next month, is I, I, t- I turn 30 and I know that my boyfriend has been looking and he's been saying he's looking at parts and these parts <laughs> just happen to, you know, if I go onto his phone for something, I'm like, oh, there's a, there's a nice MGB GT on, on, on your page there. And um, he's like, just... <laughs> Parts, Bap. and then <laughs> just kind of moving on so then um, yeah so I think I might end up going on uh, on, on the distinguished gentleman's drive in probably something pre-H's anyway but something I don't yet know what it's going to be so um god, it's uh,
0: gonna be insults. really bloody awkward if it turns out he's not getting you an MGV <laughs> can you it? imagine yeah. yeah
2: it was it was literally just a poster that he yeah. got to. <laughs> he's, he's he's sat at home
0: listening to this going what the hell <laughs> god, yeah, god yeah. now I've got to buy an MG <laughs>
3: Well, Yeah, maybe this is a, this is a good like kick for for him. If he can listen to this, I'd be like, can I have it in yellow, please? I mean, if you know, if, if doing, some parts are being You're doing that something.
0: thing where where girls really really want their partners to propose and just talking about weddings constantly.
3: <laughs> like, yeah, about cars uh, instead.
0: <laughs> yeah, the the only thing on his
2: phone every time I picked it up was a ring.
3: <laughs> like,
2: what is with yeah. that? <laughs> but it looked like it was a part of a piston. But I'm just gonna think that it was something <laughs> <It's> different. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but what's funny is that he doesn't ride, so. So now he's like, I'm not going in the back with you. I'm like, come on, just just come on. just. <laughs> uh, you
2: have to make that happen. So um, our friend Hannah, um, her partner is Magnus Walker, which oh, course, obviously yeah. you guys would be familiar with. Yeah, yeah. And she was our ambassador a couple of years ago. And the best part about that is that she had a sidecar that she was riding and Magnus was sitting in there oh, in the side having the time of his life. And you know what? There was enough space in that sidecar that he could put his beard dreadlocks, his head dreadlocks, his chest dreadlocks and everything else. And um, yeah, no, he's, he's a good friend of ours as well. And he's helping to, to organize one of the rides in, in the States. Amazing. So, amazing. I think, I think, I think I'll, I'll do another shameless plug here. But if there are, is anyone that's listening uh, that's into their classic sort of uh, cars i was about to say motorbikes damn it. Uh, that's into their classic cars then, then the website for that is just gentlemen'sdrive.com. and you know if anyone wants to host a drive then that's where they can get in touch with us and if anyone just wants to put their name down so we can keep them informed that's Brilliant. the place to go
0: Love it, love it.
2: I'm full of I'm full of uh, full of plugs to my own
0: events. Very I? very <laughs> subtle plugs though. Yeah, so it's, it's yeah we we good.
2: should do a plug to like just some random business in the middle of nowhere just to make sure that this isn't biased. So yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: If you need fly screens, please head to. <laughs> so um, I'm going to jump in on the, uh, the the getting mixed up between cars and bikes and bikes and cars because you mentioned yep. you were you, you were primarily a driver, car driver, then turned motorcyclist. Um, and I think that's a fairly common theme for, for a lot of bikers now. They they tend to start out with cars and classic cars. Me, personally, I drove cars for the best part of 10 or 11 years with zero interest in bikes. Literally, you couldn't pay me to even consider riding a bike. And then one day, a little light bulb turned on, and it was, I want to learn how to ride bikes. And now I love it. <laughs> um, what was the What was the transformation for you? How did it go from cars to bikes, and was there a like me where you were kind of a bit like not that fussed by them or is it something you'd always really wanted to do or how did it pan out? Yeah,
2: it was, um, you probably hit the nail on the head for me. It was just a light bulb moment. Mm -hmm. I literally woke up. I was held in my now? I'm 36. Now I was 25. Um, woke up in bed and just thought, you know what? I want to go get my motorbike license. Mm -hmm. And that was it. There were no external influences. I'd never looked at motorbikes before going, Oh yeah, that's cool. I want to do that. Um, and it was, it, I feel like it was quite a unique light bulb moment because everyone I speak to, they come from a family or their cousin has ridden a motorbike mm. or someone has introduced them to it. Um, out of my friendship network, um, you know, I've still got 25 really close mates from high school. None of them are interested in motorbikes at all. Mm. And, and that sort of is where uh, I got my motorcycle license, you know, did, did the course. Um, was riding a motorbike I ended up going to Japan for four weeks on holidays and I fell in love with the custom motorcycle culture in Japan Mm -hmm. and I saw these Yamaha SR400s and every single one of them was customized differently and I just sat there and gone this is cool Mm -hmm. like the fact that it's an extension of their personality was amazing and then I came back to Sydney and I bought an SR500 uh, customized it and you know started riding it around and thought I was so cool and then I was like wow I, I, I'm really lonely I've got no <laughs> one to ride motorbikes <laughs> with and um and that's when I started Sydney cafe races as you know being the way of being able to bring people together so that I didn't have to ride by myself
3: <laughs> so it
2: was yeah, it was really unique and I mean even when I was younger like I'm a, like I said before I'm a big guy and I've always been a big guy but I love small cars and like when I was 17 it was multiple Suzuki Mighty Boys, um, <laughs> Suzuki carry vans like one of the cars that I own now is a Lotus Europa and I bought that while wow. I was in hospital and endowed with a broken leg um, and I even squeezed into it with a broken leg and had to commando crawl out of it. Uh, it's it's funny it's just funny when it comes to cars the fact that I'm I don't know I'm, I'm I'm turned on by the quirkiness of um, cars that aren't super popular.
0: Yeah. no, I get that 100%. There's there's something mm. very special about driving a car that you hardly ever see any others of. I think there's it can be very easy to go and get the you know tick the box of 911, yeah, that's cool or even things like M3s, M5s classic Mercs Yeah, you know, it, it can be very easy to go oh that's a car I've always wanted to have but then the minute you turn up to a car show and there's 13 others of them and you go oh But when you can rock up yeah. in a car that nobody else is in you're kind of like ha, look at me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and and it was really funny
2: the transition I can't say the transition because obviously I'm still totally addicted to cars but going from cars to motorcycles I remember um, I got my dad to drop me off a, at uh, Sydney airport and I flew up to Brisbane. Uh, It's only an hour and a bit up north, but it's about 800 kilometers. And I bought uh, my first ever Mazda 1800, which uh, literally is a replica of the one that's in the background. And I got to the airport. The guy picked me up from the airport. He didn't ask any questions. I went and checked out the car and he wanted uh, $2,000 for it. And I had $2,000 cash in my pocket. And I looked at him and I've gone, before I hand this over, is this car going to make it back? And he looks at me and he goes, I forgot to ask you, where did you fly from? And I've gone from Sydney. And he looks at me and he goes, no chance. Oh no, (laughs) God. And, and, and I've just looked at him and I'm just like, Oh no. And I've looked at him and I've gone, you know what? It's not as if I've got no plans on on taking an airplane back. I gave him the money, and I hit the road, and I literally made it back home nine hours later. Wow. I stopped for a cheeseburger. Didn't even really stop. I went through a drive-through. I filled up petrol once. And then I got home and my eyes were just red and I had the most <laughs> amazing drive of my life. It was, uh, you know, the air conditioning. By air conditioning, I mean the three-quarter windows at the front. <laughs> it was the best feeling. And I get home and my dad just looks at me and he just goes, and then he looks at his watch and he goes, I did not know how you just did that. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it definitely wasn't legally, um, but it was such a fun drive. And, and the hard part is sort of them getting more into the motorcycle side of stuff there is more opportunity for that adrenaline on motorcycles because, you know, you're so much more at risk, right? You've yeah. got no sort of protection around you. And it's really funny now because, I mean, if I go into a car that's um, classic but possibly more on the boring side of classic, mm. you know, I- I can get about three or four hours straight driving and I'm pulling over for a bit of a nap. If I go into my daily car, it is two hours and I'm going for a nap. Whereas that never used to happen when I didn't own a motorcycle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It makes perfect sense.
3: Yeah. Absolutely. Like, I think that's the, the one thing people say to me about like riding bikes and stuff. They're like, you know, aren't you just worried that you're just going to kill yourself or, or anything? And I'm like, no, because you're so scared all the time that when you're riding, like suddenly, like right. I remember one of the first times I was on the back of a motorcycle. Um, I was with my brother. So my brother had just learned how to ride. So literally, I don't think it was, it was probably not legal at the time because I don't think he would have been insured. He passed his test, rode back home on his little 125, took his L plates off. He was like, Amy, do you want to go out for a ride? I'm like, yeah, go on then. Because I'd just been dumped. So I was like really Aww. sad. So he, so he took me for, he's like my younger brother as well. So it's quite sweet. So we went and got like takeaway. Um, we went to Pizza Hut and got pizza and then like sellotaped it to his tank to then ride it home. And also the same, also this is a really not stupid, thing but it's quite funny at the time I had just had an operation on my hand so my hand was in this massive like bandage I mean like rugby ball size bandage and like plaster (laughs) and so I couldn't get it through this this motorcycle jacket so I've, I've got it like in zipped up inside my jacket against my chest one arm around my brother there's no rear foot pegs so i've got my feet oh. resting <laughs> whatever i was on <laughs> i went to go and get pizza and then i mean i started this story saying you know you're not scared about anything but i mean it's on that ride. Where i thought suddenly the the curbs i thought mm, curbs suddenly suddenly look very sharp and my kneecaps feel very vulnerable all of a sudden and i think it, <laughs> <laughs> it is a level of being slightly scared for me all the time, which is both exhilarating and also keeps me safe. Like I do not understand the mentality of bike riders, which I think are completely different to say, I don't know about, about you, Mark, but for, 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 for me for a start, like the idea of going 100 on the motorway weaving between traffic just makes me, oh, I just, I can't even begin to think about that. I'm just like, no, like I saw, I saw literally a group of about three or four riders the other day doing the exact thing. On their superbikes and like their girlfriends on the back, like you know, high up on their the, the rear seat, yeah. like in leggings or something like that, Thank and God. and I'm just like, what on earth are you doing? No wonder people think that you know bikers are you know crazy or or are not in a good way. It just it's a completely d- different mentality, and I think that is something that goes across the whole bike world. You've got these little subcultures of motorcyclists, and I mean the DGR pulls together a. a, a like my favourite kind of culture of motorcycles myself. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I do think there's always a slight element of fear, which is exhilarating, but also makes you feel alive and free and happy. And then you get the end of it and you're like, oh, that was, I enjoyed that ride with your friends or whatever. So um, I yeah. I always
0: describe yeah, it uh, as, as it's, it's using the road, but in a different dimension, because you could do this exactly the same journey that you've done in the car a thousand times, but you do it on a bike and it's a completely different experience. And there is, I think partly for that, reason of you are extra alert aren't you you're constantly looking out for what other road users are doing you're looking for oil or diesel or fluids on the road that might affect the, the grip through a corner or if you're out in the country mud and animal poo that's often yeah. on the road Yeah, it's it does it brings this whole new realm of using a road and it, for me it's I always I've said this so many times both on the podcast and both just socially it's almost like going into a meditative state you just you, you, you focus on solely what needs to be focused on and all those silly concerns or anxieties or issues that you might be thinking about that might be causing you stress at home, whether that's money or moving house or, oh no, the car's falling apart, family feuds. All of that just disappears just for a bit because you're focusing on only what needs to be focused on and that's getting from the start to the end via whatever tangent and turn off you decide to take and and it's lovely for me it's absolute bliss it really is it's
2: it's a weird way to put it but you're essentially you know you're closer to death than you were when you didn't jump on the motorcycle (laughs) and it's the closest that you are effectively to death and um, I think that says a lot about the mentality of motorcyclists when it comes to their <laughs> end, and, and possibly, I guess for me, it's about limiting that risk. And Amy, you're talking about people that do it in between traffic. Mm. Like I can understand the thrill of it, but for me, there's always a time and a place, and that is yeah. on a racetrack mm-hmm. and and that's where I get my thrill similar to how they get their thrill. But in a more professional mm. environment, a safer environment, um but I think it's a testament to motorcyclists as well that, you know, they don't have uh, the cushion of four steel walls around them to yeah. protect them. Um, and I think that is why you tend to find that sort of the the motorcycle guys, um, as well as the guys that are in classic cars that, you know, deep down, they know that uh, an accident in a fiberglass car or yeah. an old car is, is going to be potentially devastating you tend to find that those people are more charitable and more willing to help people because they live on that edge Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if I'm sort of getting the point across properly but they're more at risk of dying therefore they're more willing to support others and they appreciate the value of life that little bit more than
0: someone that doesn't take those risks I think you're spot on and I think that is most noticeable within the motorcycling community worldwide if you I've, and again, this is something I've paid reference to a few times before. If you drive along the road and you see a car that's on the side, let's think, you know, not in a vulnerable position, let's say it's a country road, the car's pulled off and the bonnet's up, you, chances are you'll look at that driver and go, ah, that's a shame, like, but they'll be fine because they're, they've got a car and if they need to get shelter, they can sit in the car or, you know, somebody's going to come and help them. That's just automatically think that with bikes, there's that, because of that extra element of, you're so much more vulnerable. If it suddenly starts to rain, you've got no refuge, you're getting wet, you're just gonna stand there in the rain and wait for your recovery or something to pull out, to to pull in. But I always find the bike community, you know, I've had this, even riding around in London. I remember following a guy on a massive GS and the, the poor bloke was probably in his mid-70s and he just fell over on the road. Like he yeah, he he got to the set of traffic lights and missed his footing and, and fell over. Immediately, four bikes pull up alongside, you know, help the guy up, get the bike up, and it's just like, put him back on his wheels, are you okay? Yeah, a bit shake it up, that's fine. Maybe go and get a sweet cup of tea or something and off you go. And it was just like, the minute everything was fine again and the guy was back on the bike, it was, everyone just went off on their own way and it was just, just that was just part of the day, you know? It, we just, you didn't think twice about it, it was like, oh no, that guy needs some help, pull over, stop, da da da. That wouldn't necessarily happen with a car unless you saw somebody, you know, perhaps crying by the car and looking like they were in some yeah. sort of dismay. Um, the, that that community feel, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head there, Mark. I think it's because we've all work in that extra realm, that extra dimension of we know just how bad this could get, or we know just how bad this could be. It does add that element of well, let me just make sure you're okay at the very least. Let me just get you on your way or get you get you resettled. It's it's funny, and the, another thing you said actually, I want to pick up on as well, the whole death thing. It's a, it's, you know, it's a bad word for motorcycle <laughs> PR, but <laughs> a lot of people say it, and a lot of my car-driving friends, because I like you, Mark, I've got one... I, I could call Amy a friend, I guess, but I've got <laughs> one... On, on the good I've days. got one friend out of my group of many friends that rides motorcycles, and that's my friend Joanna. Before I met Joanna, I had no, no bike friends at all, none. And the car friends all say to me, Oh, I, I could never ride a bike because I'd be terrified I'd kill myself. And my response is always, that's the mentality that you want. Like that, as crazy as it sounds, if you ride, you know, I up until a year ago, I was riding around on fast bikes, I had a, a Panigali Ducati, and every single time, I'm not kidding, every single time I put on the helmet and sat on that bike, I considered and thought about what could go wrong, including loss of life. Every single time without fail. And I, you know, there will be some people that will call me out on this and say, oh, that's completely unnecessary or that's, you know, overreaction. I believe that the day that you get on your bike and think I'll be fine and nothing's going to go wrong is the day that something could, really bad could happen. It's like the day that you go and decide to time yourself on a racetrack or see how quickly you can All get right. from London to Birmingham. That's when things go wrong. It's the day that you, you turn off that sensible bike. Yeah
2: if people disagree with you on that one, I mean, I agree with you hundred percent and yeah. that's my mentality when riding. And I guess that's why people look at me as this figure in the sort of niche motorcycle world. And they expect that I'm going to be more supportive of them deciding to get their license. Yeah. There is not one person in, in my 11 years of riding that I have tried to motivate to get a motorcycle and yeah. ride personally. And in fact, every single time a friend of mine has said, hey, thinking about getting a motorcycle, they always expect me to be this supportive figure that's going to take them through the process. And I'm like, cool, that's a decision for you to make all the best with it. And that's being the sort of person that I am. I deep down, I know that you have to be a very specific personality to ride a motorcycle. Uh You have to have your wits about yourself and you have to have the attitude that, hey, at any point... this ride something's going to go wrong and i need to have the quickest reflexes and i need to be ready to counter that that's the attitude you need so i agree with you there the problem that i have is deep down i know that if i motivate someone to ride a motorcycle and i was personally involved in it, it wasn't through my event like for you amy it was personally if they have an accident that's that's i know that i am going to feel whether it's right or wrong that that is on me And that was my fault because I was the one that motivated them to get a motorcycle. So it's probably not what motorcycle manufacturers want to hear. Um, (laughs) People people, people in the scene saying to people, I don't want you to ride motorcycles. But the the realistic part is, is there's always going to be an element to the sort of person that rides a motorcycle. It is, it's not in a lot of places that we're talking about that DGR takes place. It's not your main form of transport. It's very Mm. different to, when we're riding in India and when we're riding in Nepal and, and Vietnam, you know, maybe they don't have the mentality because they're so used to it. But when every second person that you're driving past is on their mobile phone and mm-hmm. you can see that they're on their mobile phone, you have to assume the worst in yeah. every single part of that ride that you go on. So, yeah. you know what?
0: I'm I'm, I'm on team John for that one. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and just to kind of, throw a compliment back at you. I think that mentality of the fear that you getting somebody into motorcycling and then resulting in them getting hurt or worse, yeah, all that says to me is that you're just a really nice bloke. Because, <laughs> like that, that, I mean, you could have that mentality about everybody. If your friend had never had a beer before and you said, hey, try this beer for the first time, they turn into a raging alcoholic. Yeah, you, can't, you, you can't put yourself through the worst-case scenario of how bad everything could yeah. be. Um, have you ever climbed a ladder before? Well, don't, because you might fall off. You know, that, it, it's... It just shows to me that you're you're a good bloke. And I think that that's quite a common theme with the bike world. I remember a friend of mine, Tim, saying, um, if he ever wins the lottery, this is a bit of a, a a bit of a tangent and often a bit of a win, but if he ever won the lottery, the one thing he wouldn't do is buy any of his friends a fast car. Because of course, as car guys, that's kind of what you envision, isn't it? If you came into, let's say, a million pounds or a couple of million dollars, you think, oh, I'm gonna go and buy my mate that. 911 that he's always wanted or that Ferrari's always wanted but then he was thinking well if I bought my friend that 911 turbo he's always wanted and he lost control of it and put himself into a tree then he'd live with the guilt forever and I was like you know you can't you can't live with that mentality it just it just shows that you're quite a compassionate person
2: yeah I mean and 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 to be fair to show you the asshole side of me um (laughs) I've I've had that same scenario where it's like if I win this much money I'm gonna buy my mate this car and all the rest of it my best mate Philippe um, but all I could come up with was a Ferrari that I paint pink and put a bull bar and tow bar on just to really piss him off. Love that. Yeah. I mean,
3: that's that's best friends for you, right?
2: Yeah, and, you know, if we want to slow him down, we can just load up the trailer with, I don't know, concrete and just get the power to, the power to weight ratio to that of a, uh, I don't know, an, an old school car. <laughs> it's so funny right then, isn't it? Like, I want to be a smart ass and say, pick a specific motorbike that's slow or a, a, a specific car that's slow. And then I'm sitting there going, oh, but actually, from a sponsorship perspective, I better not talk bad about anyone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the PR machines always worry. Oh, just. <laughs> I just want to be free. You know,
3: <laughs> know. <laughs> but, but I mean, I have to say, for now going back round to your sponsors, you've got the uh, you've got Triumph sponsoring this year. They, have they sponsored a number of years now, the DGR?
2: Yeah, so Triumph have actually been on board um, since our third year. So we had year number one, which was just breaking stereotypes, year number two where we started the charity stuff, and then year number three they were on board. So this is their... Eighth event, awesome. um, and and now we're sort of just locking down what the next three years looks like. So, I, I yeah, you know, I'm fairly confident that it will be Triumph on board again. I mean, for us, um, you know, we feel that Triumph are the right brand for that style of event. Wow. And to be fair, the amount of support that we've gotten from their dealerships, um, from the teams in all the different places around the world, it's actually it helps us run a safer event and. I don't know, I feel a bit weird because the meeting that I had before catching up with you guys was actually with Triumph. And I just felt weird thinking, wow, we've been with these guys for eight years. That's a long sponsorship deal. And when I first started DJI, I sort of sat there and thought, oh, yeah, this is a cool idea. It might last, you know, 10 years or so. Mm. And, you know, we're now at year 10. We're now at the 10th event. So, yeah, fingers crossed we get them back on board.
3: That's awesome. Yeah, because I'm um, I'm going to ride one of their bobbers. I've n- never ridden a bob before, so uh... oh,
0: they're beautiful, though, aren't Are they? they? Yeah,
3: I've, I mean, in terms of visually, I think we it's saw stunning.
0: one at um, we did a podcast back in the summer with Maria Costello, very famous I... motorcycle rider. Uh, she, is she is amazing. She is. Indeed. I love Maria Costello. Yeah, we went riding we we went riding motorbikes with her which she was here in Sydney. She's awesome. Amazing, but yeah, Maria turned up to our podcast recording on a bobber.
3: She did, yes.
0: Very yeah. cool looking thing. She
2: she um she was uh, one of our ambassadors probably about three or four years ago, and I mean I don't know if Amy's let the cat out of the bag now, but Amy is actually one of our ambassadors this year as well. <laughs> I, yeah, well, well we I We see kept that. that one quiet Sorry, until and... <laughs> fifty minutes into our conversation. <laughs> I
3: don't want to go and be like, oh, by the way, I'm one of their global ambassadors. Oh, by the way,
2: this is a completely biased <laughs> <Yeah>. podcast. <laughs>
3: (laughs)
0: I wondered why you were so keen to get Mark on. on, Yeah, Yeah, no,
2: we've we've got some fantastic ambassadors this year, and I think it's a testament to well the guys and girls that take part in the event. Um, You know, last year we had five males, five females. This year we've got five males, five females, and um, I don't know. It's just it's so awesome for me to to be able to see. I guess the evolution of the people that are getting into this event over the last 10 years. And to be completely honest and transparent in the first year, there was probably like three or four girls globally. Um, and now it's starting to get to that sort of 15, 20% mark. So, you know, having Amy on board as well, um, one, you know, the fact that you're an amazing photographer two, the fact that you're an amazing individual. And as weird as this is going to sound three, the fact that you're female is actually really nice for us to sort of showcase to everyone that, Hey, This isn't a folk's game. This isn't everyone's game.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I've always been, you know, for me, I guess, I don't know if it's my upbringing was always very, it it was just a flat plane across everything. It, you know, even from, I remember being a toddler and my mum, you know, talking me through the birds and bees and explaining about races and sexuality and this, that, the other. And it, it was always, just as a child, everybody was equal. does didn't matter if you were gay, straight, by whatever you want to identify as, what colour your skin was, what your interest was. And it wasn't until, you know, growing up and becoming an adult, going through school, realising that these other sort of prejudices and things exist. And, and for me, the, the most disappointing thing is always learning that there are people out there, whether you're uh, you know a guy or a girl or, or yeah, however you want to identify and think that something in this world is is exclusive to you because of who you are and I remember like, yeah. getting to that point of my childhood and discovering that there were people out there that thought oh I can't do that because I am insert whatever you want to be there and you know, we've had this conversation recently Amy and I where we spoke about certain manufacturers on their websites you know putting up um, images you know that they think of the, the typical we'll market our motorbikes with the cool guy riding through the desert and wearing the cool Belstaff jacket and all this, that and the other, and the vast majority was all just blokes. And it's mm-hmm. never made any sense to me. Like at no point throughout the design process of a motorcycle or the evolution process of a motorcycle has it been, this is for guys only, this is for blokes, this is not for girls. And, you know, I, I still stand by that now. It, it there's there's nothing in the world of both motorsport or motorcycling or sports cars or anything like that that to me says this should be for men. Oh, and girls can have a go too. Like, it's just, yeah, it's bizarre. So I'd like to think it's, that there will it, be it, girls listening that, you know, perhaps have been thinking, or oh, maybe I should do that, but it is a it is a man's world. It's not, it's not a man's world at all. Yes, no, there are lots and, of places to do it, but there are also a lot of girls that do it as well. Yeah, and, and I mean, how do I, I've got to be careful
2: how I say things, obviously. I don't want you guys to have to edit this whole thing. Um, <laughs> but the beautiful thing about motorcycles is it's, let's look at women and, 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 and men, right? It's okay, running. Yes, men are physically built different. Uh-huh. Uh, swimming different sports rugby league rugby union okay yes there are differences but when you look at motorcycling it's all mental Mm -hmm. Yep, there is literally the size of your body uh the size what hair how long your hair is Mm -hmm. the the bits and pieces that you have Uh, irrelevant on a motorcycle because when you're on a motorcycle it's the most gender neutral thing you can possibly do in my opinion uh your body says go left you go left your body says go right you go right so irrespective of what gender you are uh the motorcycle does what your mind tells it to do and that's why i've always liked the idea of motorcycles and the idea of having more and more women join the motorcycle world and yeah, I get that, you know, maybe, um, you know, more women have got their heads screwed on in a more safer manner than us guys. I get that. <laughs> yeah. But again, as dangerous as it is, you can do it safely if you're, you know, just prepared to to practice and prepared to be aware of your surrounding. And yeah, I, I love the fact that when it even comes to racing and seeing Maria Costello race at like yep. Goodwood and that stuff, like we're here in the office watching her just, blown away by her achievements Mm. thinking as guys damn we wish we could ride as good as her (laughs) yeah absolutely i mean
0: on the podcast when she came on she was she uh, planted a bit of a seed about potentially getting some sort of track day organized and Mm. because i have never i do a lot of car track days every free day that i have i'm on car track days i have a dedicated track day car exactly for that purpose i have never Ridden the bike on track. Neither have I. Never done the track down a best. bike. best. I know it? Maria, it's the best. And so in, much fun. In our podcast, Maria was like, "Right, I'll sort the day and I'll give you tuition on the day." And to me, like, it doesn't. There's no. I guess that maybe there are people out there that think, "Oh, okay, getting taught to ride by a girl—that's a bit weird." To uh, me, it doesn't. It it literally doesn't make any difference at all. I look at Maria Costello as a fast as hell rider. Yeah, you know, she's she yeah. has previously set lap records on the TT. She's incredible. Like to me, it's just this amazing ability. And as you say, it doesn't matter what's between your legs. If you're good at doing something and you can teach somebody else, then, and you've got the opportunity to learn from them, then go for it. It's at
2: the end of the day, we all know that there is a shitload of insecure motorcyclists, male (laughs) motorcyclists out there. And it is what it is. And, you know, sometimes it feels like it's to a degree generational. And, you know, I think every, every decade, um, it does shift and every passing generation uh, you know as younger people we're more accepting of the right for homosexuals to get married we're Mm -hmm. more accepting from the gender neutral front there's less racism I think that you know as long as we're sort of compassionate and uh, I think the issue is that people forget that they just need to treat people how they want to be treated because if everyone lived by that motto you wouldn't have all this nonsense like i don't care if a girl teaches me how to do something as long as i learn like it doesn't matter what the gender is anyway we are getting we are getting better at it and i mean uh there's no doubt that uh, you know even personally i'm getting better at Making sure that I don't say things inappropriate, but I still stuff up every now and then when it comes to genders as well, and when it comes to certain things. um, But as long as we're all working that little bit harder to make sure that we're, you know, being more accepting. Like, you know, the intention's not negative. It's just sometimes we
0: say stupid shit that we don't mean. (laughs) That's right. No, you're absolutely right. Absolutely, and the ability to be able to hold up our hands and go, ah, you know what? Actually, that wasn't fair. Or I probably oh, shouldn't have said I, that. I, I do that a lot.
2: That's me on a That's me on a daily basis. I just <laughs> yes. walk around with my arms up everywhere. Sorry, sorry. sorry.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: People are like, I'm not trying to rob you. I'm like, oh, no, 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 it's not that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. This has turned into a bit of a feel-good podcast, this one, because we, we, we've gone from motorcycles to um, just fucking f- be nice to everyone, please. <laughs> be nice yeah, to just each other. Bit.
2: Yeah, I'd love to repeat one of the words that Anthony Partridge uses a lot, but I'm not going to. Just don't be a that's all that's that's you can all say it and I'll beep say. it. I'll beep it in the edit. Go No, on, I go. don't even want to say it. I want to, to <laughs> noted that I did not say the word that every typical Australian says and that <laughs> Anthony says every second word. <laughs>
3: Well, I don't know if um, we should kind of call this a day before John has to end up beeping out most of the end of this podcast. Yeah, it's just,
2: a 60, it's just a 60 minute
0: beep and people are trying to yeah. do Morse code yeah. <laughs> to try and figure it out.
2: <laughs> well, it, it's funny
0: you mentioned, you mentioned Anthony's name because I don't know if you're aware, but we had to record Ant's podcast three times. Oh my God. We started, oh, no. we hit Literally the record button. I know that. We hit the record button for Ant's podcast three times and in two different locations. That's oh, how, that is that's hilarious. how bad it was. Um, so, but yeah, that's, that's Anthony. That's how... Anthony is probably
2: my, I can't even say probably. He is my best sort of motorcycle buddy that I've made through motorcycling. So him and I are very close and we've had some pretty crazy times test riding motorbikes all around the world and, partying at different motorcycle (laughs) events around around the world but uh yeah he is one very very loose
0: unit (laughs) (laughs) if you look back on our on our episode list you'll see that the the episode is titled third time lucky with amp partridge (laughs) oh that's funny. I thought it was
2: just going to be titled C dash B. Scull and (laughs) Crossbones. No, that was awesome. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I I really enjoyed that. No, it's been great.
0: Let's let's throw those websites out once again because if anyone's interested in either the ride or the drive, um, go for it, Mark.
2: Yeah, gentlemansdrive.com for everything car-related. Um, obviously, social media is uh, at Gentleman's Drive. And for classic motorcycles, gentlemansride.com and the relevant social media tags. It's, it's all there. Um, this year, we've got four fantastic Triumph motorcycles that we're giving away to uh, our highest fundraisers. So if you wish to be a part of it and support Movember, then please jump online and join us. Fantastic. 23rd of May. Or the 26th of September.
3: <laughs> we definitely know that date.
0: Cool. Awesome. Thank awesome. you. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, you've made it to the end of the episode. That means you are amazing because anyone that makes it to the end of a podcast is the best person in the world. Congratulations. Just wanted to remind you, as we said in the opening of this episode, drop us an email. We have the email address podcast@drivenchat.com if you would love to give us a story about classic car, wins or loses or any hero stories or tragedy stories we want to hear them and as Andy pointed out we will dedicate an episode to you to your letters and to your stories a massive thank you to Mark Howard for being our headline superstar guest in this week's episode our thanks to Amy Shaw for being a, a fabulous host as ever promise we will be bringing you more of Amy in the next few weeks it's been it's been a bit me focused really in the past few weeks so more Amy the better and, yes, keep the feedback coming as well. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I cannot say enough thank yous to everybody that is leaving feedback for us, uh, leaving five-star ratings, um, clicking subscribe on Spotify. It, I can see it happening, and it, it makes a huge, huge difference to us. We never, ever, and as far as I am concerned, we will never ask you for uh, any form of Patreon subscriptions or, or money. Yeah, we, we want to keep doing this for free as we have been doing uh, and for the sole premise of bringing you some great entertainment so if uh, if if there is any way that you want to kind of pay your gratitude to us then a lovely kind positive review a, a subscribe a follow uh a share with a friend that is the way to do it because it really does make a huge, huge difference to us so thank you, thank you, thank you once again I'll give you that email address one last time and then I'll let you go on your merry way it is podcast at drivenchat.com that's podcast at drivenchat.com and as I pointed out a few weeks ago that email address it goes straight to me it goes straight to me straight to my phone straight to my laptop so by all means blow it up with spam don't ask blow up with spam just, just